Today we'll be talking about all things display with Silvio Perez. Maybe you're a fan of display, maybe you hate it. Regardless, display is not going away anytime soon for B2B marketers. We'll cover the differences between display and programmatic display, when there's a time and a place to use both, and then also get into display as the newest channel in metadata. Demand Gen U is officially in session. Let's do it. So before this episode turns into the Silvio show, I need to just tell a story and, and maybe just admit something. I am not a display guy. I've used display before. Part of the reason is I didn't really understand it. I was expected to show ROI from it and had no idea what to even do. And I use an ad blocker on my computer, so I rarely even see display ads. So I think, Silvio, I would love for you to school me on display. Uh, we'll be real about display because I think there's a whole lot being sold out there by ABM platforms, and I'm using heavy air quotes here, and we want people to know the reality of what display and programmatic display is and really the things to be aware of. And then, you know, we'll get into the new channel that we're excited to launch with metadata. Sound good? Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. So asking for a friend, AKA me, tell me the difference between display and programmatic display. I, I hear everyone talking about programmatic display. I feel like I'm being sold the future. I don't know what's real and what's not. So let's get into that first. So it's when aliens jump into your brain and then they show you ads. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So first and foremost, I'll tell you what display is not. Display, most people, they associate display with like Google Display Network and running Google Display ads. That's GDN ads. That's just buying inventory and placing ads on, you know, websites that Google has aggregated, which is very, very, very large uh, supply network. But that's just running ads through Google owns properties. Programmatic advertising is just a really fancy, nerdy way of saying buying and selling media with technology automatically. So you're using tech to buy and sell inventory automatically. And programmatic is a lot bigger than just Google Display Network. Google Display Network is just one source of inventory, one supply vendor. You can also buy inventory from places like Microsoft and a whole bunch of other supply networks to get in front of additional publications that maybe you wouldn't have that weren't part of Google's network. Got it. And I think we all know this by now, but display has been sold to us and B2B marketers for the last couple of years as, hey, you're not doing ABM unless you're running display ads to your target account. So the ABM platforms out there, is it GDN? Is it pro programmatic? Is it both? Like, shoot me straight. Oh man, I'm gonna rant. <laughs> Get on the soapbox, man. So first and foremost, when you're buying display ads through ABM vendors, it's through programmatic. The, the, one of the big advantages of running display ads through programmatic versus just GDN is your ability to target. You have so much more granularity in terms of targeting available when you're doing things through programmatic versus just Google Display. The other advantage too is policy restrictions. If you are, let's say a healthcare SaaS, Google is relentless in terms of policy restrictions and what you can or can't serve your ads, especially for retargeting. You can circumvent those policy restrictions using programmatic. Uh, it's also important to note programmatic is much bigger than just display. Programmatic is display, it's video, it's native, it's audio, it's connected TV. It's this massive ecosystem with so many different channels. Now, when you are running display through these ABM vendors, they're doing it through programmatic because they have that flexibility to be able to target your list of accounts and also layer in profile data like job title targeting, functions, et cetera, so they can reach those accounts and those decision makers within those accounts across the open internet. So 
and I've been burned twice by GDN, so I kind of swore it off as a as a marketer. For programmatic, the targeting, and you kind of walked through it, but if I want to, you know, let's say we've got a double funnel that we're using. You've got your target accounts, and then you've got firmographic criteria. Like, how good is the targeting? Are they the right types of buyers and prospects that you want to see at the end of the day, or is it all over the map? It's pretty spot on. It's really good, actually. It's not perfect. No targeting is perfect, but for through programmatic, your targeting can pretty much much better than what you could do natively through like a Google Display Network. So I'll I'll break it down for everyone and like demystify. So the way companies are able to target your list of accounts through programmatic is using some sort of identifier. So usually what they'll do is they'll use IP addresses. That's the most common example, but you can also do things like device IDs and they can also, there's also partners as well that can basically take those different identifiers, whether they're like emails, IPs, device IDs, and then associate them to um, an identity graph to associate to like a user ID. So it can, it can get really complicated. But the long story short is they'll take those companies that you want to target, they'll basically find the IP addresses of those companies, and then from there they'll usually layer in like profile data targeting, like job titles, job functions, et cetera. So that way they can get in front of those people uh, programmatically through the open internet. Now, it's super important to know that when it comes to running programmatic display ads, there are a lot of hidden costs. Everybody needs to get paid at the end of the day in that programmatic ecosystem, you have a buy side and you have a sell side, and everyone along that chain is essentially trying to get a cut of your working media. I have a question for you, Mark. Yep. Of every dollar you spend on a display ad through programmatic, how much do you think goes to actually buying inventory and getting your ad seen? I wouldn't even know. I would say 30 cents. That's, that's pretty brutal. <laughs> 50 cents. On average, 50% of every dollar you spend is going away to fees. So I can wow. kind of break it down further. So there's data fees, meaning if you want to reach, you know, VPs of marketing or CMOs and you're buying that data through a third party, such as, you know, uh, Data Alliance, 180 by 2, Bombora, Dun & Bradstreet, all of these people sell data and they charge percentages of your CP, they, call, they charge CPM fees. So they have to get their cut. You also have tech fees. The DSP you're using charges fees for you to be able to run media. If you have to buy your DSP through a reseller, they charge a fee. So there's all these hidden fees. And then on top of that, you have your serving fee, meaning if I'm your agency or I am your ABM vendor, I charge a percentage as well. So that way I can recoup the cost on my data and tech fees. So there's all these hidden fees that people have no idea. So this is where I have a love-hate relationship with display and, and programmatic. If you are going to do this, you have to be understanding of all these hidden costs and you need to make sure you're asking this ABM vendor or this agency the right questions to understand how much of every dollar you're spending is actually going to work for you. So before we get into my next question, when you were just saying, you know, they get a fee, they get a fee, they get a fee. For some reason, I just thought of the, the Oprah clip. It's like Oprah, right? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. Yeah, it was like, yeah, amazing. I'm glad yeah. you were thinking the same thing. So, because um, we want this episode to be as helpful as possible, you know, and I'm learning a whole lot just from listening to you right now. Let's run through the right types of questions that B2B marketers should be asking, you know, an ABM platform or whatever display solution that they're using, because I would guess that many of them don't know the right types of questions to ask and just assume that they're being sold, you know, <laughs> everything. 
So first question is, are you marking up any of the media that I'm running through you? And if so, how much? That's, that's probably the best question to ask in terms of getting transparency, in terms of fees. There, most people are not going to break out all of their fees in exactly. Just ask them, of all the media that I'm, that I'm you know, running through you, how much are you marking up in terms of margin? And that'll give you some, some transparency. Most people will actually not tell you, and just full, full disclosure. But that's helpful if they do tell you that. The other thing as well is, you know, fees aside, right? That's one half of the battle is your, you know, are you getting the best return in terms of every dollar spent to work for you? The other half of the battle is, are you showing up on the right websites? Are you, you know, is brand safety taken into account? So some key questions to ask outside of just fees is, what are you doing for brand safety? Are you using any pre-bidding technology to be able to filter out things like suspicious activity? Are you taking into account viewability? So viewability means uh, for when my ad is visible, how, what percentage of my ad must be visible in order to be charged for an impression? So if they're not using any viewability filters, like literally the bottom piece of your ad, like I'm talking like a fraction of your ad could be visible on the screen for like a millisecond and that will be charged as an impression. So if they're not using viewability filters, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna pay for that, right? Uh, the other thing as well is, is brand safety. What kind of placements am I showing up for? Do you have brand safety protection in place? Are you filtering out things that are unsavory? That's also super important to make sure that you are showing up on the right types of websites. And then the other one as well is, do you have any whitelist functionality in place? Do you have a whitelist of approved uh, placements that my ad can show that you have vetted? And also, if they're a really great partner, do you allow me to provide you my own whitelist so I can show up on these vetted sites that I have decided with my company that I want to show up for? So those are some good questions to ask. So the last question, the two different companies that I've run display ads at, I think the, the marketing leader said, hey, these are the sites that we want to show up on. And I would say nine times out of 10, they're like, super premium sites. I want to show up on the Wall Street Journal. I want to show up on CNN. Like I want to show up on all these things. Is that like a, a possibility or do you just have to pay an enormous amount for those placements? Yeah, it's definitely a possibility, but it's more expensive. It's it all comes down to and this is where having a partner is is important because they'll walk you through these things. So for example, if you're trying to reach a very specific job title, and the data vendor who is selling that, that inventory is charging premium CPMs, like letting the client know like, hey, you're gonna pay more, so you're gonna have a higher upfront CPM, but we're gonna be able to get in front of that person that you want. Are you willing to make that trade off? And it, it just, that's why having that, that transparency is so, so important. Got it. So I feel like we've been ragging on display and programmatic for a little bit here, and we're not trying to rip on it for the entire episode. So let's spin this a little bit more positively. When does it make sense to run display ads in your eyes? And you know, we'll go through that first, and then we'll try to get a little tactical so people have some ideas to, to steal. I think it makes sense if you really want to do one-to-one -one targeting or one-to-few in terms of getting in front of certain key accounts. I think it also makes sense as well if you have identified placements that your ICP will hang out and you can target those placements as a targeted whitelist and you know those are high value websites that you wanna get in front of, I think that's when it makes sense. Really the, the intention behind it, right? Like you really wanna get in front of these groups of individuals that's really gonna make a difference. That's where I think it can make sense. I also love display in terms of helping support an outbound motion, 
right? So you're doing one-to-one -one or you're doing one-to-few, you're doing that with social, but then you're also covering those accounts as well with display. And you're really creating that omnipresence, right? Where you're reaching people wherever they go because you're trying to get in front of that, that audience that's really high value to you. I'm a horrible online shopper in that I have a problem and I like the stores that I buy from absolutely love me and get me every time on display ads when they just surround me everywhere. <laughs> They're just like little touch points, you know, I know. I know. there, you know, <laughs> you don't think much of it. You, you're most likely not going to click through, right? Uh, a good CTR on display is like 0.5% to give context. Mm -hmm. So. It's just having that, I think a fancy word here is that propinquity where, you know, you are showing up with those much multiple touch points everywhere. I think I have to Google that because my little brain has <laughs> no idea what that word means. Um, sweet. So you mentioned metrics. One of the things that I struggled with in the past was trying to show the right metrics for performance because many marketing leaders just write off display of, you know, hey, we're not doing it in general. Then there's the other half who just accepts that this is something that we have to do. And then for the people that say it's something that we have to do, they still need to show performance at the end of the day. So how would you show performance when you're running display ads? It's loose. It's going to come down to influence. That's really it. So influence opportunities, being able to measure impressions by accounts is very important as well. So that's another way you can justify it where if you can filter by a specific list of accounts and then you can see by account how many exposures have they reached in terms of impressions, did any of them click through, and measuring that account journey I think is the best way to, to prove value in terms of display spend because then at least you can go to your decision maker and say, hey, these uh, high value accounts that we're trying to break into, they had you know 50 impressions from display and oh, hey, guess what? A couple of them actually clicked through or something like that. You know, I think that's really where the most value makes sense from display. So to play it back to you, I feel like where people might go wrong is maybe they don't have that conversation up front with whoever they're reporting into on performance of just setting expectations and, hey, we're going to run display ads, but this is how we're going to show performance. Because if you skip mm -hmm. that, then they're like, hey, where are the conversions? How much pipeline was created and all this stuff? And it was like that was never the goal to begin with. Exactly. Yeah. And and. On that note too, like when it comes to driving conversions with display, you can do this. You can do this for B2B, and I used to do this when I was in the B2C world as well. But the way people do it is pretty inaccurate. So where display conversions can happen is when you're going after specific inventory that you know your ICP hangs out on, right? It's marketing 101, where are my people hanging out on and how can I get my message in front of them? If you've identified a couple of publications that you know your ICP frequents, very often and you can put your ad on those publications that's where you have the potential to drive an actual conversion of course in relation to social and search it's going to be much lower but that's where it's possible when you're getting more and more granular the other possibility as well is through retargeting you can do target cpa campaigns with retargeting and retargeting individuals by a display and you can also drive conversions that way but by and large display is an awareness channel and to your part to, uh, to your point you have to like communicate with your decision makers that you know, we're not going to launch, we're not going to spend $5,000 on display and it's going to drive, you know, 100 new opportunities or, or whatever, right? Uh, if we're being honest, I know that the first time that I ran display, I was using metrics like that and shocker, it didn't happen. So if you take one, hopefully you take many things away from this episode, do not do that. So let's talk about 
creative and let's say, you know, we're going to run display ads in 2022, knowing that it's more so an awareness tactic, what do you see or recommend for good display creative? Personal, like personalized creative is the best. So ideally HTML5 is better than static and ideally even more so than that, if you can do dynamic content optimization where your creative will dynamically be personalized based on the first party data that it matches with. So for example, if I'm getting in front of Microsoft, it'll say like, hey, Microsoft, et cetera. And if you don't have that capability, even just breaking it out, you know, campaign by audience segment so that you can create that personalization is super powerful. I think that's what's gonna stand out, right? Most of us have banner blindness. So the more personal we can be to the person we're trying to show our message to, same on social, right? If we're going after a specific persona, they have different pain points and we can speak to their pains, that's gonna resonate. So the more personalized you can make it creative, the better. And then from a content perspective, you know, it's awareness. So are you even driving people to you know, ungated content, or are you really trying to just drive people to, let's say, high priority pages on your site, whether it's the home page, you know, the platform page, whatever it may be? Yeah, if it's display, it's usually going to be driving people to the home page. What I've seen work well in B2C, that'd be interesting to see in B2B, I haven't seen many people do this, is advertorials. They're basically like these articles that are actually like trying to pitch your product, but it helps and educates people. And like that would work really well in, in B2C. It would be interesting to see if people do that in B2B. But for the most part, by and large, for B2B advertisers, it's driving people to their homepage or it's driving people to like a resource center where I think driving content makes sense as well as you can do it through display, but also through native ads as that's like more contextual to the placement and driving people to articles as well. I would not use display for conversion by and large, if it's prospecting, if it's retargeting, there's a play for it, but ideally you're leading with value. So let's get into retargeting then, because when I've used display tools before, I would say I burned some money just running general display, but then retargeting, you know, was a little bit better. So, mm -hmm. you know, for people that are all in on retargeting, let's give them some of the Silvio gold and any recommendations that you have. Yeah, when it comes to retargeting, if you can, ideally, if you have enough traffic to support it, if you can retarget people based on certain pages they visited, that's really powerful. Um, also, if you can do a, a, a layered retargeting where you do all web visitors, but then you can layer in profile data of like, you know, specific seniorities. So that way you're not just reaching anybody and you can create more personalized messaging. That's even better. Um, but unfortunately, most people don't have enough traffic. So even just getting started with all web visitors and you're creating, you know, you're staying top of mind, I think is key. And if you don't have a lot of visitors in a way, it's a, a good thing because you don't have to spend as much money to stay in front of them, right? So you just have to be mindful of frequency and, and making sure you're not, you know, burning these people and having them see your ad 20 times in the same session. But, but other than that, uh, you should be good. So one thing that we were talking about before we started recording was trends in 2022 and stuff that we expect to see the rest of this year and beyond. You know, we live in a, a mobile world. Everybody's on their phones. There's a million stats that I'm not even going to try to make up here, but you know, we're always on our phones. How does that impact the types of display ads that you'd be running on, on mobile versus desktop? I assume it does, right? It does. It does. Like the dimensions are going to change. So that's why when you when you upload display creative, you're uploading multiple dimensions. Um, I actually 
reviewed like $1.5 million in display data just to get some insights and learnings and share it on the podcast. Just, so, just casually, yeah. Just casually, <laughs> this is what I do on the weekends in case you're, you know, you're curious. So uh, those, for those listening, like the top display dimensions that I recommend you do, by far the number one is 300 by 250, 728 by 90, 160 by 600, 300 by 600, 300 by 50, and then 320 by 50. Those were the top uh, creative dimensions that I analyzed. And it's good to have multiple uh, variations because based on the, the device, you know, the, the dimension used will change. $1.5 million worth of display. How'd you get your hands on that? <laughs> <laughs> this is like one of the fun parts of being at metadata. I'm just behind the scenes looking at all this data. Oh my God, you're like a mad scientist in the background. Uh, one, of the, one of the things I will say for everybody listening that's so important for B2B, and this is actually a good question too as, to as well to ask to whoever's running your, your display, is to make sure for B2B, you're not buying inventory from, from mobile games. For the most part, I haven't seen that fare too well in terms of display, unless you're B2C and you're trying to drive app installs, it's a very different story. But if you're a B2B advertiser, by and large, you want your, your media to be getting in front of you know, desktop and mobile devices outside of app environments. So making sure they're only buying media on web or you know, web desktop or web mobile is, is really important. And then the other thing as well is make sure that you're only buying inventory from authorized direct or authorized resellers. So making sure you're buying inventory from uh, publishers that have ads.txt on their website, which is basically like a little piece of code that they put to basically verify that they are real. That's also going to help you a lot in terms of getting your message in front of quality, you know, legitimate sites, um, which will be reflected in a lower bounce rate, higher time on page, et cetera. So, and again, asking for a friend here, AKA myself, you mentioned gaming uh, and trying to avoid that. Is that like gaming in a sense of Xbox and PS, whatever we're on and stuff like that? Or what, what gaming? It's been a minute since I played Call of Duty in NHL and college. Yeah, like, like, call it, like Call of Duty Mobile, right? If you yeah, have yeah. that and you see ads in there, like the banner ads, that's, it's also not just gaming. It's also just like, you know, any apps. So for example, you. if you have, you know, like an alarm clock app and there's like, you know, those little banner images on there, that's display. So just making sure you're not in those app environments as by and large, the quality of traffic there is not as good. Got it. I hate whenever you download an app and there's just display ads everywhere. I usually delete the app, not even kidding, uh, just because I the in-app experience is so poor and I just don't want exactly, to have to 100%. out. Yeah, it's yeah, and people are just like clicking through that or a lot of times too, kids ha uh, people have kids and you know the kids are playing games on their phone and they're just, you know, you're like, oh, this placement has a 5% CTR. I won a display. Oh but then you God. notice it's like Candy Crush or something, you know? <laughs> it's like not relevant at all, so... <laughs> That's incredible. All right. Well, we've talked about display versus programmatic. We ragged out on it a bit. We stopped ragging on it and we talked about the time and a place for it. So I think it's a perfect segue into one of the, the things that we're excited about at Metadata is launching display. So we will be adding display very, very soon here. I don't know the exact date this episode is coming out, so I don't want to uh, screw anything up. But at the time of recording, it's coming out soon. And not a pitch slap, but Silvio, like, let's talk about what this means for metadata customers and why uh, future metadata customers should get excited about it. Yeah, I'm actually really pumped because we're behind the scenes. We're fully in control in terms of setting things up. So the number one advantage is cost. 
there's so many fees, like I, like I mentioned, just to give everyone some context, average CPM we see across the board for metadata customers is about $5 for display. Um, there's other vendors out there that they will charge you $9 CPMs just to add profile targeting on top of your account lists. So it's, it's pretty criminal. I'm not going to lie. It's <laughs> pretty bad. Like um, so like transparency and cost is the biggest thing as well. You know, giving, giving clients that, that transparency and be able to, you know, measure the, the movement account across the accounts funnel, being able to have that transparency and understanding like, Hey, we are doing things like, you know, um, using approved whitelists. And if you want to give us your whitelist, we can apply that as well. But of course, depending on your placements, you might not get as much reach, but really just allowing people that flexibility and control so that they can do one-to-one -one targeting. They can do one-to-few, one-to-many, uh, and, and really not get nickel and dimed because metadata is not making money based on charging a percentage of your media spend. And that's really like the most exciting thing for me. So I'm going to ask a couple follow-up questions, but one of the things we probably should have covered at the beginning was the difference between one-to-one, one-to-few, one-to-many. One-to-one, I think everybody listening gets that, so we don't need to go there. What's really the difference between one-to-few and one-to-many? So the way I explain it is one-to-one -one is you versus another, like you targeting a specific company, that one company. One-to-few is ideally less than 50, and then one-to-many is more like 50-plus. The other way you can think about it as well is a few is no longer a few when your BDR team can no longer, uh, you know, manageably work those accounts. That's when it becomes one to many. I like that explanation the best, if we're being honest. Sweet. So with display now being in metadata, they'll be able to run all three of those types of display campaigns? 100%. Yep. And they'll get, you know, access to reporting. So they'll be able to understand how are we doing? Are we getting in front of our key accounts? Not just from influence, but also triggered. I don't think you'll get a lot of triggered opportunities from display, but you will be able to see that in metadata as well. And then you have full um, flexibility in terms of the attribution models you're using in, in metadata as well. So you get to determine how you, de how you deem influence, right? And it's not just like somebody saw uh, one tenth of your display ad uh, for a fraction of a, of a millisecond, right? And then that display ad is now responsible for, you know, 100x influence pipeline, you know? Yeah. And, you know, we'll keep it clean here. We're not going to trash any competitors, but like many platforms that we compete against, the scenario that you just laid out, you know, maybe not that extreme, but definitely a scenario like that, they often take credit for influence pipeline from display ads, like just an impression, right? A hundred percent. And not just them. Google ads does the same thing with view through conversions, right? Mm -hmm. you, you have no control over viewability for view through conversions. So it's also the big ad channels as well. Got it. Okay. So more of a big picture thing, but I think the reality is with metadata, one of our, I'd say core platform principles is how tight and strict I would say we are when it comes to attribution and giving you flexibility to use different attribution models, because we don't want to take credit for things that really don't warrant that at the end of the day. Absolutely. And the other really exciting thing too, is by running display through metadata, you're also can run, you can run awareness through social as well. And you can have, you can run, uh, have a brand awareness optimization group in metadata. And underneath that one group, you can have all of your different awareness campaigns across channels. And then metadata's AI is looking across all these different awareness campaigns across channels and helping you allocate your spend. So it's not channel biased. It's agnostic of the channels and it's looking solely based on what are the KPIs that are driving the most activity for you? 
So my mind is blown. I mean, I know what we're doing behind the scenes in the product, but I've never done something like that campaign-wise. So let's use a hypothetical metadata campaign and kind of walk me through what that means like for me, the B2B marketer. Yeah, super basic example is let's say you have, let's say for you, you're, you're judging success off of what drives the most clicks at the lowest cost. From, you can have, a, let's say, a Facebook campaign, a display campaign, and a LinkedIn campaign. From there, it's able to prioritize which experiment is driving your objective and allocate more budget towards it and less towards the other ones. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're definitely going to experiment with that. I can't wait to see how that works. But no, it's pretty exciting. And uh, we've got a couple releases planned over the coming weeks and months for display. So is there anything that we haven't covered yet in the, you know, the first release or two that B2B marketers should be aware of? I think we nailed it for the most part. Um, there are some other exciting things on the way as well. I don't know if I could talk about that. This is really just the beginning in terms of, you know, programmatic and metadata. And there's a lot more exciting things also on the way. I dig it. Uh, Product would be very happy with you right now, and I am too in product marketing because we are not marketing way too ahead of where we are and where the roadmap is. So uh, I got to hold myself back sometimes. Yeah, no, <laughs> I wish we could share everything, but we can't. So no, that's awesome. So let's get into Q and A for a bit, and then we'll wrap it up. So when you're, you know, let's just say somebody who wasn't a display fan prior to this episode is now intrigued by display and wants to to start running display ads, where would you recommend that somebody get started, you know, if they're going to start small? Personally, what I would do is I would start with exact placements that I want to get in front of. And I would put together a list of placements and I would put together that whitelist and I would try to get my media in front of that whitelist because that whitelist, I know ideally my ICP hangs out there. I know they are, you know, websites that I want to be on and it is worth getting an impression on those placements. That's, that's what I would do. Um, something also that I saw been done in the past that's pretty cool is if you do have like your, your ads show up on a, you know, like a Forbes.com, something like more prestigious, you can take a screenshot of that and then that screenshot of that ad on that placement you can use as like a social ad. So you can kind of repurpose it as well. So you can do some creative things like that. Yeah. All right. We might have to try that. Although I'm not a Forbes fan right now because just like many websites now, you have to accept display ads or else you can't even see anything that's on the site. So I'll get off. Yeah. My and a lot of these, a lot of these publications, that's how they make money. So it's a, it's a huge business for sure. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll get off my display soapbox here. <laughs> and then the last question for you of, you know, the future of display let's say 2023 and beyond, you know, not at metadata, just in general, are there any crazy things that you've heard as, you know, possibilities of we might be able to do this as B2B marketers? Yeah, the, what really excites me is connected TV and like the programmatic ecosystem and how you can set frequency caps across channels. So digital audio is huge in the programmatic world. So buying media on like podcasts, that's massive as like podcasts become more and more uh, impactful, being able to run ads on, on uh, connected devices like Hulu and these different like live streaming services with CTV is really powerful. That's personally what excites me. And then also from a display perspective, 
just especially if like cookies go away, the, the ability to layer first party data, that's going to become even more and more important. So you can do, let's say, first party data with contextual targeting where you get in front of you know, websites that are similar to your keyword, for example. So that's, I would say for me, like the general programmatic ecosystem is really what, what mm -hmm. I get more excited about, specifically CTV and audio, because yep. I think that's like blue ocean. And then last question, which should have been probably one of the first things that we talked about, but I'm glad you mentioned it. Cookies, they're going away. How does that impact display and what should people be aware of? It's going to hit those data sources that you buy media from, um, that you buy media from. So those third-party segments that these people are using, um, it, they're going to get impacted the most. So the need for first-party data to get in front of the right person is going to become more and more important. So for those of you out there that are listening, that all the information you have in your CRM, that's truly like gold. And if you don't have a tool, obviously like metadata, using something so that you can source information and be able to you know, leverage that to your advantage is going to be key in a uh, cookie-less world. Yeah, it's a scary thought. Glad we're not, uh, <laughs> as metadata, we don't have to be too worried about that because we were a little ahead of, uh, <laughs> ahead of the curve on that one. And I will say for everyone listening, you know, the what's never going to change, even like in a cookie-less world, is the ability to target contextually. You can still do that. It has no relevance on cookies. So, for example, if I want to target websites that are contextually related around marketing, I can do that. So if you, like, in my opinion, this makes demand creation even more powerful and more important because if you can use contextual targeting, distribute content through display and all these other channels, get people to know, like, and trust you, and then re-engage them across the spectrum with all these different channels, that you can, it's going to make it even more powerful because the ability to drive a specific direct response because you're targeting X title and X industry with you know, this direct response message is going to become even harder yeah. because you don't have that precision level targeting. Wow. Silvio, this was, I don't know how many episodes we've done together. One, it was great. Two, I learned the entire time. So my little brain is, is uh, <laughs> overwhelmed right now from how much you schooled me on. So thank you for coming again. Always great to talk to you and nerd out over marketing. Everybody else listening, make sure to subscribe uh, and keep asking questions on LinkedIn and sending us emails. We appreciate it. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for coming out. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Demand Gen U. If you want to hear more, make sure to subscribe to get future episodes. You can also submit a specific topic you want us to talk about by DMing us on LinkedIn. If you like the show or want to share feedback, please leave us a review. It'll help us keep improving and get the word out to other marketers just like you. This podcast is brought to you by Metadata, the first demand generation platform that launches paid campaigns that self-optimize to revenue. If you're looking for a tool that makes it easier for you to build audiences, launch paid campaigns, and experiment at scale, you'll love Metadata. B2B marketers at Zoom, Okta, and ThoughtSpot use Metadata to automate the time-consuming parts of running paid campaigns so they can focus on the things that matter.